another edition of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at JReedNFL. That's at J-R-A-I-D-N-F-L. And we have so many things to discuss on today's show. And we're still in that bit of a dead period in between the Senior Bowl and all the pre-combine stuff. And you're starting to see a lot of rumors surface about these certain prospects. You're hearing teams are interested or disinterested in certain prospects. But just a quick recap of some of the things that we have on tap for the show today. Going to do a bit of a little AAF recap. We have a new football league on the horizon, and I thought they did a very good job of presenting their product. So we're going to go in depth about that and how just the NFL desperately needs a developmental football league. Also, we're going to keep going with our State of the Franchise series. We've already taken care of the first three picks in the draft, and now we're going to go to picks four, five, and six with the Oakland Raiders, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and New York Giants. So we're going to go in depth about each of those teams, and we're going to give a rundown of the first-round selections and just what I have in mind and just an overall picture of what they could be thinking at those spots. And then my favorite part of the show, we're going to welcome on a guy I look up to and who I think is considered the best in the business, and Dane Brugler from The Athletic. We're going to get into some wide receiver play and some wide receiver prospects. He's going to reveal his top five rankings, and we're, we're going to go through each and every one of those guys. So with all that being said, let's dive right into this thing, and let's talk about the AAF, the Alliance of American Football League, that I thought did fantastic this past weekend. And They only have a few teams right now, and they're not all in big market cities. And just to give a quick rundown of actually what happened and what actually the Alliance of American Football is, it's considered to be a developmental football league for 22, 23, 24-year-olds. That's mainly what the league is made up of. And some of the cast-offs from the NFL as well that were some notable names that might just not have, have had the talent or they just flamed out in the NFL. And you're seeing names like Trent Richardson, and there's a host of other names as well throughout the league. Christian Hackenberg is another name as well. So you're going to continue to see these popular names. But the thing that I loved about the AAF was the presentation of the entire thing. And they experimented with some rules that we necessarily wanted to see in the NFL. And you talk about the no kickoff rule and the implementation of us being able to see the actual instant replay official, him or her being mic'd up and just going behind the scenes of what they're thinking on these questionable plays. And I love stuff like that. And that's something that fans, football fans in general, want to see as well because a lot of things in the NFL, we don't really get to see the curtain be pulled back upon. And seeing stuff like that is just really good because as NFL fans, we want to be nosy. We want to be behind everything. We want to be behind the scenes. We want to see every single thing that's associated with the game. And these instant replays being these instant replay referees being mic'd up, I think that was a fantastic idea. And there were some questionable calls made throughout that, but you're seeing what actually goes into the decisions that they're making. And everyone just wants leagues to be transparent. And that's something that the AAF has brought upon. But I think the best thing that is, or the best aspect about the AAF is that the NFL has already embraced it as a developmental league. And how has it embraced it as a developmental league? The biggest thing was that they already have contracts with CBS and the NFL Network. That is outstanding because NFL fans, they want to see these games. And it's not just a United States or American product. It's an overseas product as well. And that's something that the NFL has tried to do. They're internationalizing the game. And it's not just London games. They want to be visible not only over here in the United States, but the entire world as well. 
And I want to highlight one player because I think he had a fantastic debut, and that's Luis Perez from the Birmingham Iron. He's in the same backfield as Trent Richardson. They did end up getting the victory this weekend, so they did start off 1-0. But he's a prime example of how this league potentially could work because the thing that I love about Luis Perez is that he was a nobody going into the draft last year. He's out of Texas A&M Commerce, a small Division II school. He was very successful there. Didn't play football prior to that point, but he learned the game and he developed his overall arm talent, his smarts for the game, and now he's one of the hottest things smoking right now in the entire league. He spent some time in the preseason with the Los Angeles Rams, and he ended up, he ended up getting cut. But Chris Mortensen sent out a tweet while he was playing and that some high-ranked executives actually text him about trying to find out exactly who he was. So that's just a prime example of how players could eventually get looks in these games. And then they could go on to be practice squad players and eventually get their shot on the active roster. So that just goes to speak how this league could potentially work out. And I'm interested to see exactly how they continue to grow the product and keep fans interested in this league because it's a new league. So fans are going to be intrigued by it. It's going to pique their interest right when it does start. But they have to find a way to remain consistent. And if the AAF is able to do that, I think they'll be just fine. Now the competition with the XFL will start next year because the XFL is not starting this year. It'll start in 2020. So they'll have some added competition. So it'll be interesting to see how these two leagues go neck and neck and how they compete with each other over the long haul to see which one can, which one can sustain over the long haul. Let's jump into our State of the Franchise series with the first team that we're going to discuss today, and that's the Oakland Raiders. They have four picks in the top 35. They possess the fourth, 24th, 27th, and 35th overall pick. Mike Mayock is officially in the door. Him and John Gruden have had a working relationship for over two decades, which is something they talked about in their press conference. So it's going to be interesting to see just how much power Mike Mayock does have with Gruden And if Gruden is actually going to listen to him, because of all the people that are in the sport or the, the, excuse me, the scouting industry, Mike Mayock is the one guy that knows the ins and outs of it because he has a plethora of experience doing it. He was the headliner or the main guy at NFL Network for multiple years. And now I'm really happy for him. I think the world of Mike Mayock, he's a guy that made me a fan of the draft. So it's going to be interesting to see just how much power he does have in that draft room. And I really hope John Gruden does listen to him because they have the ammo in order to build up this roster and they lack talent. Everyone knows that. And I think the biggest needs that they do have right now are at the edge. They have to find a way to find a guy that can generate some type of pass rush off of the edge. They only had 13 sacks last year. Just to put that into perspective, the next closest team to that had 30. Just think of the disparity and the difference between that, between 30 and 13. That's how bad their their pressure was off of the edge. So they have to find a way to find a way or find a person or a prospect that can generate some type of pressure off of the edge, especially being in that division. They have to find somebody out wide for Derek Carr. He doesn't have any weapons out there, and Jared Cook really was his best weapon out there last year they have to find somebody behind him at running back Marshawn Lynch we don't know if he's coming back next year he's on the tail end of his career Doug Martin I think he was just a replacement filler and I don't know if he's going to be back next year or not we'll see what happens with that even though Gruden does like veteran type of running backs I still expect him to take a younger type of back in this draft and they have to address their speed on the second level they need some type of linebacker presence in the middle of that defense so they have a plethora of needs But they're going to have plenty of guys to choose from. 
in this draft. And you talk about Ja'Kai Polite, Brian Burns off of the edge. They're probably not going to be in contention for Nick Bosa unless he suffers some type of slip. Cleveland Farrell is another guy that could make sense at one of their picks as well. So they're going to have their pick of the litter with this selection. And then at the 24th, 27th, and 35th pick, whichever one they do so choose to do, they have a chance to address their needs not only on the offensive side of the ball, but the defense as well. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what they do with this pick. And they have to find a way to create intrigue, especially moving to Las Vegas this year. And the one thing that you don't want to do when moving to a new city is not generate some type of excitement. So maybe the Raiders find a way to find their potential franchise player now that Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack are out the door. They have to find a way or find somebody that has some type of star power that's going to generate this type of buzz, especially moving to a brand-new city next year. Moving on to the next team, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think a team that has had a really good offseason so far, they got one of the top coaches on the market in Bruce Arians. I think the world of Bruce Arians, I think he's a fantastic coach. Things just didn't work out for him at the tail end of his career in Arizona, but now he took a year off. He's revived himself, and he has that hunger back to coach. And the best thing about this fit in Tampa Bay is how he can work with Jameis Winston. Bruce Arians has a history of working with these stronger-arm quarterbacks that had questionable decision-making, but he was able to overturn that and make them into really good decision-makers and really revive their career. He's worked with Carson Palmer in Arizona, Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, Big Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. So there's, uh, there's plenty of quarterbacks on his resume that he has, and even Peyton Manning in Indianapolis, which is another great example as well. He has this resume of working with these quarterbacks and being able to revive their career. So we'll see what he does with Jameis Winston, but let's just focus on their draft right now. They have the fifth pick overall. I think they need an offensive tackle. We don't know if Donovan Smith is going to be back. We'll see what happens with that situation. But they still need to find a way to address the offensive tackle need. They still need to find some way to get an interior guy opposite of Vita Vea, who came on strong last year. And I think he's going to end up being a good player, even though he probably never will have consistent three-down value. They still need to find a three-technique opposite of him. And it seems like we say this every year, but they still have a need at corner. And we'll see if MJ Stewart and Carlton Davis eventually come along to really end up fitting their draft slot billing. But I still think they need to add some talent in that secondary. But the biggest decision of the offseason surrounds Gerald McCoy. He has a $13 million price tag next year, but they can find some cap relief by letting him go. And the Bucks, they don't necessarily really need that type of cap relief. They're middle of the, middle of the pack as far as cap space, but he's getting older. He's getting a bit longer in the tooth, and they kind of want some new guys in that middle of in that middle of their defense. So we'll see exactly what happens with that. Ty Bowles is in the door. He's going to run that 3-4 system, and Gerald McCoy might not necessarily be a fit at that 4-I or 5-technique type of position. He's more of a 3-technique that is in between uh, him and Bruce Arians and Ty Bowles, and we'll see what happens with that decision as well. Jason Like, this is a very important year for him because he's seen as being on the hot seat as well. So this is a big offseason for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I don't know what's going to happen with this fifth pick. They could go a lot of directions, but if they do end up letting go of Gerald McCoy, Quentin Williams is a guy that makes total sense for them at the fifth pick, but he's another guy that you don't know if he's going to slip to that fifth selection. Also, Ed Oliver may make some sense, and he's been kind of knocked here, so he might slip to that fifth pick, or the Bucks might be able to trade back 
to a QB needy team that's trying to trade up for some of these guys that their stock is trending upward and maybe still get, get a guy like Ed Oliver on the interior. Jeffrey Simmons might be another guy that piques their interest who might go in the middle of the first round because of some of his off-the-field stuff that happened with him prior to his days at Mississippi State. So the Bucks have a lot of options with their picks, and they maybe could wait to the second round to take their tackle of the future to protect Jameis Winston if he does end up making it through his fifth-year option this year. So the best thing about the Bucks is that they have plenty of options, and I love the head coach hiring of Bruce Arians. Moving on to the sixth pick in the New York Giants, a team that's going to be highly debated every single draft because it seems like they're at the top every single year. After having the second selection and taking Saquon Barkley last year, now they have the sixth pick. Their current needs are quarterback, Offensive line, they have to find an edge presence, and cornerback after trading Eli Apple, and we don't know the future of Janoris Jenkins as well. So they have a need in the secondary at cornerback. We'll see if Landon Collins does end up coming back at safety. He's going to be a bit pricey. We'll see what happens with that situation in free agency. But right now, let's focus on what I think is their four top needs, starting with quarterback. The Eli Manning era is going to come to a close here very soon. He's on the last year of his deal, and I think it would be very wise of the New York Giants to attack this thing a year in advance. While they still have Eli Manning under contract, we'll see if he takes a pay cut or if they sign him to an extension. We really don't know what the Mayors are going to do. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with that situation. Dave Gettleman thinks very highly of Eli Manning. Pat Shermer is a big fan of Eli Manning as well. They're, uh, they are firmly in his corner. Even though he has declined over the past few years, a lot of people are attributing that to his lack of pass protection. And they still need to find some protection for him. And they got off to a good start last year, signing Nate Solder and then finding Will Hernandez in the second round as well. Both players that started off a bit slow, but they got better as the year went on, just like the team overall as a whole. So there's a bit of a buzz surrounding the New York Giants, but they have to find a way to find their quarterback of the future this year. I know the 2020 quarterback class is considered to be loaded, but you have to live in the now in the NFL because there is no type of job security in this league, and it would be very wise of them to attack this thing in advance. And I think there's one quarterback worthy of that selection, or a few, I should say, that may slip into their lap. Dwayne Haskins is one that they may have to trade up to to get. Kyler Murray is another guy that they could be interested in as well, and Drew Locke is another guy that may be there as well. So the top three quarterbacks may still be on the board at their selection, but they are going to have to trade up to get their guy because every year, that these quarterbacks are going to be pushed up the board just because of how important the position is overall. And it's the most important position in sports. And that's why we see these draft picks pushed up the board every single year, just because of how important the position is. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause that. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in just minutes. Just go to ethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Again, that's E-T-H-O-S. Get ethos.com. 
I want to welcome in a very special guest into the Draft Board Podcast, and this is a guy I consider the best in the business, and it's just a pleasure to have him on the podcast today, and I want to welcome in Dane Brugler from The Athletic. Dane, how's everything going? I'm doing well, Jordan. I appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, it's great to join you for this podcast. I know you just, it's relatively new, right? You just uh, just started it maybe a few weeks ago? Yeah, I actually started it two weeks ago, so, ago, so this is episode three. Awesome. No, I'm uh, well, I'm, I'm proud that uh, you had me on. You're having me on, and uh, you know, the draft co- combine's coming up. Draft's gonna be here before we know it. So, definitely plenty to talk about. Yeah, then just piggybacking off of that, there's plenty to talk about. We're gonna dive into some wide receiver play today, but I have to ask you: you're considered one of the best in the business. You're one of the biggest names throughout the entire draft industry. But just tell us a little bit about about your background and how you got started into scouting. Well, I mean, scouting's always been my passion. Um, you know, growing up in Northeast Ohio, um, uh, it really kind of triggered when the Browns are coming back in '99. Um, it, that really kind of uh, triggered my my love for the draft and the evaluation process. Uh, you know, I was really interested in why. Okay, you know, Ricky Williams uh, going from Texas to the NFL, or Donovan McNabb, or Tim Couch. You know, what made these guys? Uh, legit college players, but then, you know, how do they translate to the NFL? And so the whole process was so fascinating to me. Um, And, you know, I dove in and it became, you know, an overzealous hobby uh, that I, you know, back in high school, I I focused on it. And then uh, when I got to college, I started, uh, you know, doing my own draft book. And, you know, I, I knew it's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I just, I had no idea how I would even get started. And, you know, I, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, there's no direct path if you want to be a scout, whether with a team or in the media or, you know, whatever. There's no direct path. And so I decided the best way was to just create my own draft book and put my, uh, you know, scouting out there and see where it took me. And so I was, you know, blessed to have a lot of people help me along the way. And, um, you know, I've been doing my draft book for, you know, gosh, uh, over 10 years now. And, um, you know, it's it blossomed from, uh, you know, CBS and NFL draft scout to uh, moving to the athletic and, you know, I've had a few opportunities in the NFL. Um, you know, sometime, you know, there's a couple of times where I've interviewed for jobs and either it, the timing wasn't right and I didn't feel comfortable taking that job or I was ready and the job fell through or, you know, they didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't offered the job. So, you know, it's, it's something that um, whether I'm in the media or I'm with an NFL team or I just, I love scouting and it's, it's my passion. It's what I really enjoy doing. And so I'm just, I'm very blessed that I can say that I'm able to, uh, you know, call my career uh, something that I really enjoy waking up every day and doing and, uh, you know, working towards. So uh, very, very blessed. Wow. That's a, a really awesome story. And like I said, you're somebody I look up to and this will actually be my second year actually putting a draft guide together and just, going through the process right now and just understanding how much time it really goes into into that and those actual guys. So how long does it really take you to put one of those together? Uh, it really, it's it, it's a 365-day process because uh, everything uh, from that starts in the summer when you start to, you know, study the seniors and put together, uh, you know, just a loose idea of who these guys are, scouting them throughout the season, and then uh, obviously it ramps up uh once the season ends and we get in the draft season, uh, we have the all-star games and the combine and, you know, really where we are right now, it really, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it really gets, uh, uh, you know, to a point where you're spending 18 hours 
hours a day working on it. But in actuality, it's something that it's a year on process because there are things that, you know, I learned over the summer that are going to be in the draft guide uh, or, you know, things like that even before that. So it's a, it's a never ending thing. It's, I'm always learning. Um, I've, I've been very blessed where I've had, you know, scouts and different people take me under their wing and kind of teach me uh, throughout the way and just I've been able to get better. I think the best, um, best trait for an evaluator is to be a self-evaluator and understand, you know, strengths, weaknesses, and what you need to get better at. And so, I mean, that's a big part of doing a draft guide uh, player out there you can look at. And I mean, that's really a big, uh, a big hurdle is finding that uh, time management because you really love to watch, you know, 15 tapes on every player. It's just not reasonable. So you have to understand, okay, for, I watched four tapes on this guy and I understand who he is. Some other guys, I'm going to have to watch eight, nine, 10 tapes to get the full understanding of who he is. So it's really a crazy process, but something that I definitely love doing. And it's really funny that you say that because I've done over 200 reports already, and I'm sure you've done way many more than that. But there's always one guy that comes along on any position, and you're like, man, now i got to add this guy in there. So it's really funny that you do say that. But I could pick your brain all day about the draft guide and just prospects in general. But I want to focus on one position group today, and that's the wide receiver group. So I do have to ask you, and I do kind of have a dilemma with this entire class as a whole. There doesn't seem to be that one standout guy at the top. I know a lot of people have DK Metcalf at the top, but it really just depends on what type of flavor that you like in your receivers. And that's something that I notice about your rankings as well. So I do want to ask you, what are some particular traits that you look for in these wide receivers? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. You know, what, what flavor of ice cream do you like? Um, you know, and that's kind of de- determined how you rank these wide receivers. Um, you know, I think some teams are going to have DK Metcalf as a top guy. Some guys are going to have uh, Hollywood Brown as a top wide receiver. Um, you know, some might even have like an AJ Brown. Uh, so it just really depends on what you look for in the position. Uh, I think first and foremost, what I look for is, and I, I when it comes to receivers, try to keep it simple. You have to do two things. You have to be able to get open, and you have to be able to catch the ball. I, you know, there's so many other things to the position that you have to factor in. But if you can do those two things, you can play for my football team. Um, and so those are the first two things I look for, um, just overall pass-catching skills. And then after that, route athleticism, route awareness, uh, your releases, uh, yards after catch, uh, physicality, power, uh, and then you know, blocking. Those would kind of be the main things I would hit on. But first and foremost, what are your pass-catching skills? Your focus, so your natural hands catcher, can you track the ball naturally? Uh, do you have a my ball mentality so you can finish at the catch point? Um, and really, when you look at these wide receivers in this class, I think that you can really poke holes in each one of them. And so, you know, I try to focus on, okay, which, what are their strengths? What did each one of them do really well? And how is that going to impact my football team? So a guy like DK Metcalf, a lot of his evaluation is upside because he's 6'4", 230 pounds plus. Looks like an action figure. I think everybody's seen that picture by now of him just totally chiseled, uh, you know, looking almost like a, you know, a bodybuilder more so than a wide receiver. Um, so eager to see. I, I'm not sure he's going to work out at the combine. Um, I know he's still kind of figuring that out with his camp. You know, coming off the, the neck injury, he was just cleared a couple weeks ago. So he's in training right now. Might wait till his pro day until he actually works out. Um, but, you know, I he needs to get better. Uh, finishing catches, needs to get better with his uh, uh, refinement as a route runner. 
uh, but he's just a physical freak. And so when you have a great place to start, uh, just, you know, can you learn the technical skill at a position? And that's something that he has shown flashes of, just needs to get better in that area. Uh, but then you have a guy like Marquise Brown who is so explosive that he he's the type of guy that defense is the game plan for. It's just, are you comfortable with 170, 175 pounds? Uh, because, you know, he's going to uh, take some hits and can he bounce back? Uh, you know, we unfortunately didn't get a chance to see him in the, against Alabama because he was hurt in the Big 12 uh, championship game against Texas and wasn't himself uh, against uh, Alabama. So durability is something you have to factor in. And then I think after those two, that's when we really get into a, a true log jam of these guys that are fairly similar. Guys like Kelvin Harmon, uh, Nikhil Harry, uh, some bigger wide receivers who, you know, there's – Nikhil Harry doesn't get open a lot, but he doesn't have to with his physicality. And so you really like that about him. And, I mean, you answered every single but question I that I had. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, keep going. No, I mean, I, I, you could say that about a lot. You know, Hakeem Butler's another one. You know, a lot of people are high on Hakeem Butler, and I'm not. I mean, I, I, there's a certain point in the top 125 picks where I would roll the dice on Hakeem Butler. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that those 50-50 balls that he's, you know, leaping over Kansas safeties and finishing those catches – those are going to be like 2080 balls in the NFL. And it's just not going to be able to make a living in the NFL like that, uh, at least on a consistent basis. So, you know, these bigger receivers, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about them and, and how high they actually go. Yeah. And just piggybacking off of what you said about DK Metcalf, everybody's seen the picture online where he's just looked like a comic book figure. And, but the big question that a lot of people have about him is the lack of production. That seems to be the biggest thing so surrounding him right now. But I always say there was a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. And it wasn't just that wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Dawson Knox was another tight end that proved to be an explosive option as well. You also have Demarcus Lodge and A.J. Brown, man in the slot as well. So does his lack of production kind of concern you? And just what's your overall thoughts about that? Yeah, and I think the the, the scouting motto uh, is traits over production. You know, you you look for the traits. You don't draft production. And, and while I think that's 100% true and I 100% believe in it, production still matters. You know, it still matters what you produce, um, you know, whether it's uh, touchdown production or just high volume. Um, and with DK Metcalf, a part of that is the fact that we didn't get a chance to see him quite or, or often on the field because freshman year or 2016, he uh, – had a broken foot, so he missed almost the entire year, only had two catches. So registered. Comes back in 2017, plays in 12 games, 39 catches, 650 yards around there. And then this past season, played the first seven games before uh, he had a neck injury. So a big part of it is he only started 19 games the last three years, and that's a big part of why he didn't have the production, which goes down the other part of his evaluation, that's the medicals, which is something that, you know, we're just going to have to go on based on what we're told and what we hear. Um, you know, we don't have the, the medical information in front of us. And so, you know, a lot of teams, they're going to be listening to the medical staffs on a guy like DK Metcalf. And as long as you get two thumbs up, as long as they give him a high grade, uh, just in terms of strictly the medicals, then I think Metcalf's going to be a first round pick. Um, it's just, you know, are you comfortable with the uh, with the medicals and comfortable with the lack of production? And I'm right there with you. And just like you said, we can pick holes in all of these guys' game. And another guy that really lacks production as well that I want to get into and ask you about is Riley Ridley from Georgia. There seems to be quite a bit of buzz 
about him and on tape you see just how quick twitch he is in and out of routes and he has the ability to separate he can play above the rim and make catches as well but another guy that really lacks production has a small sample size in the offense that really wasn't centered around him and there was a lot of mouths to feed as well not only out wide but we know that that offense was very run oriented and run heavy so just what are your general thoughts on thoughts on Riley Ridley and overall thoughts about him yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with uh, that offense. Uh, they wanted to establish the ground game first and foremost uh, to set up the pass, and that's what they did uh, with DeAndre Swift, uh, with uh, Holyfield. Uh, you know, that's that's what their mo was uh, last year with Chubb and Sony Michelle. So, you know, it's uh, and then when they went through the year, uh, talk about yeah, Miles to feed with McCole Hardman and uh, with Holloman, with uh, Isaac Nata, and then of course Riley Ridley who, if he's drafted in the top 50 picks, it would be the first time uh, in, since 2008 that we see a wide receiver go in the top 50 picks who never had a season with more than 600 receiving yards, uh, and that was Eddie Royal back in 2008. So, um, you know, it's not something we see often. Um, you know, you see guys that produce numbers uh, get drafted in the first two rounds, uh, so it would be something that would be a little uncommon. But when you, when you break them down, he has a lot of traits that you look for uh, with you know, he's not as as dynamic as his older brother Calvin Ridley, but he's bigger, he's more physical, and you see the same attention to detail as a route runner. Um, you know, just ability to be detailed. Uh, he you know pushes patterns to proper depth. He's comfortable uh, with throws away from him, and he can extend and stab, and shows the same type of focus. Um, it's a big part of his uh, what he does as a receiver is that body control. So uh, you know, he's not quite as speedy and dynamic as Calvin, but I, I think he's a little bigger. And so there's a little bit of a trade-off there, but still, I think he's a top 50 player in this class uh, and one of the wide receivers that, you know, it didn't have quite the production, but you're excited about the traits. And at the end of the day, that's what you're drafting, the traits, not the production. And I think that's a fantastic point. And you see a lot of people really hanging their hats on these production type of guys that have that typical type of output. But they don't really possess the traits that you look for. And you said separation ability and a lot of other things along that list as well. But a couple more questions. I know you're limited on time, so I'll let you get out of here after these two. So are there any day three type of receivers that could go on to have a big impact that are really catching your eye at this point? Well, you know, I think a big part of it is where, where, you know, where are they drafted to fit? Because if a guy like uh, little Jordan Humphrey, if he goes to a team that, utilizes him the same way that Texas did as kind of that big slot receiver. Um, I, I think he could be a, you know, a quality receiver for a long time. Um, you know, he played running back in high school, moves the wide receiver uh, at Texas, and, you know, he still needs to get better as a route runner and, you know, some of the finer points of the position, but he's really good at working in the middle of the field. You see him on crossers. You see him working in between layers of the defense. Um, it, I watched uh, four or five tapes, and he didn't drop a single ball only had one double catch, and he still completed that catch. Um, but he loved the way he high points, really strong hands, uh, really physical. He could tell he's a former running back uh, with the way, uh, you know, after the catch, he's able to shrug off defenders and make something happen. So uh, as an outside receiver, I don't – I mean, I think he could do it. I just don't think he'd be as effective. So if a guy like Lil Jordan Humphrey – and I think you could throw Jalen Hurd from Baylor in that uh, conversation as well – you play him as more of a big slot receiver, uh, you know, let him work space over the middle of the field, I think they could be really productive. And I think the going rate on, you know, guys like that, probably the fourth round, early day three. Um, so I think 
fits a big part of it. But those two guys are uh, two guys to keep an eye on. Travis Fulgham from Old Dominion is a player who um, I think has a lot of potential. I think he's an ascending player. Uh, didn't start playing football until his junior year in high school. Was a big basketball guy, uh, and you see that. Um, you know, he's a he's a bigger player. He's six two, two ten. Uh, like the way he can high point, uh, catches the ball well away from his body. He's really good ball skills. So I think Travis Fulgham's kind of scratching the surface of what he can be. Uh, I think you can get really good value out of him. And then Penny Hart, who not invited to the combine, but had a great week at the Senior Bowl, really impressed. Whoever ends up getting Penny Hart, you're getting a dynamic slot option, who I think would be a very productive pro. And then those are those last two you just named. They really caught my eye down at the Senior Bowl. I didn't really know a whole bunch about Penny Hart just because he was a late addition. But Travis Fulgham, he really caught my eye, especially during day three. During that one-on-one session, he was just unguardable. And I put a star right beside his name to just go back and watch him some more. And, you know, he played at a small school, but he did really stand out when he was there. So I was I was fascinated by this, by his film when I did go back and watch him. Yeah, he uh, – what you were saying, the one-on-one, especially in the red zone, uh, he, that's where he really shined. And, you know, he's got a great backstory because he – he was born in the United States, but he moved overseas uh, when he was only a few months old. Uh, his his mom worked uh, as a foreign service officer uh, for the U.S. Agency of uh, uh, International Development. And so, you know, he grew up in Egypt and South Africa and India. So he didn't come back to the States until he was in high school. Uh, so has a really different background. Really wasn't introduced to football until, uh, you know, his junior and senior seasons. So he's still kind of discovering uh, how good he can be. And we saw it this past year as a senior. He went over 1,000 yards. Uh, he had uh, nine touchdowns, I believe, and he, and he caught those nine touchdowns in nine straight games to finish the year. So I think he's an ascending player who's uh, still discovering just how good he can be at the game of football. Wow, that's a fantastic story. And, you know, I didn't even know that about him. So that just goes <laughs> to speak your knowledge and background information about these guys. But last question, I'll let you run and I'll be remiss. If I did not ask you about the Kyler Murray situation, there's a lot of rumors going on about him and his fit with the Arizona Cardinals or if they're really interested in him. But the Cardinals sit on the tweet that they were backing Josh Rosen, that he's their franchise guy and they fully believe in him. But Kyler Murray was also in the news this week, as he always has been. Since the draft process has started, he has fully committed to football, which has really helped his draft, his draft stock. So just what's your overall thoughts on Kyler Murray and his whole situation? I, and the moment he came out with that tweet, I, the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, he got the guarantee from a team that says we're going to draft you in the first round if you're there. And, you know, it's you can try to, you know, read the tea leaves, connect the dots, whatever you want to say. And, you know, he hired, or he hired uh, Eric Burkhart, who uh, is an agent, a well-known agent in the NFL, also represents Cliff Kingsbury. Um, you know, there's so many connections you can draw here. And when I was down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, I, I had several people, uh, you know, just talking to people about Kyler Murray, several people told me, don't dismiss the Arizona Cardinals' interest in Kyler Murray. I know, uh, you know, with Josh Rosen, only one year, and they came out with that tweet today about Josh is our guy, Cliff Kingsbury, actually, you know, a tweet, like, Josh is our guy. But I still, I'm, I don't think you can dismiss it. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm keeping an open mind to it because the Cardinals, they control the draft. They have the number one overall pick. Uh, if I am serious about something like that, I'm of course I'm going to say that because I need to trade Josh Rosen. So 
Uh, you know, it's something that I don't, I think it's still a long shot. I'm, I don't think it's, you know, going to happen or even, you know, a favorite to happen. I still think Nick Bosa is the favorite to be the top pick, but I am not dismissing Kyler Murray as a legitimate possibility for Arizona at number one. I think it's something that, you know, you, you just can't rule out. Um, you know, we're going to hear a lot of noise the next few months, especially about Kyler Murray. Uh, but that is one of those situations with, where I, I, when you connect the dots, and I think a lot of it makes sense. And so I just wouldn't be shocked at all if it ends up happening. It's going to be fascinating to see how this story ends up unfolding. But here we are again with another outlier at quarterback following Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield, another Oklahoma quarterback, quarterback coming on the horizon. So once again, Dane, I just want to thank you for coming on. I could talk to you about prospects all day long, but I just want to thank you again. And we'll, we'll definitely be in touch once again. I uh, enjoyed it, Jordan. Anytime you want me on, just let me know and uh, you know keep up the great work, all right? No problem. We'll do. Thanks, Dane. Really fun interview right there with Dane Brugler from The Athletic. And if you are not subscribed to The Athletic, I highly recommend you go ahead and do that. And I know a lot of people are on the fence about actually going to subscribe to The Athletic, but I highly recommend you going to do that because along with Dane, there's a bunch of other talented writers on there as well. And there's just some fantastic work on there. And Dane is a guy that I look up to. He's a guy that made me interested in scouting and eventually pursuing my passion of actually doing this for a living. So he's a guy I'm just so ecstatic to finally get on the podcast. And those are just the type of guests that we're going to bring on the podcast. And there's going to be plenty in the future as well. So just make sure you guys subscribe, leave a five-star review, and just continue to listen to the podcast because there's so much in store for the future. Hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. And once again, I'm Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's at NFL. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And I look forward to future episodes and getting your reviews as well. 